Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. We've got a couple great guests here today. We're going to be talking about an awesome topic, which is police records management. This is one of those things that's kind of, they've been around for a long time. Everybody knows that the police have to fill out their reports and make reports on all the incidents that they go to. But the importance of that in today's world is really where we're going to be focusing on. Uh, I've got Maria and Melissa here with me. Both of them are from IGIS. You know, most of you probably heard of the IGIS Institute, or if you haven't, listen up, because there's some great things that IGIS is doing. They're a nonprofit alliance. They've been working to push the technology, push everything similar to that and the newer protocols into the public sector, and really just help us get safer and more efficient as we do our job. So, Maria, Melissa, welcome, and good morning. Good morning, you. John. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this should be a great conversation. Like I said, I'm, I'm interested in talking about police records management. Uh, it's, it's a topic that's been around for a long time, but it's definitely something I think that all of our, uh, everyone listening here to this podcast is familiar with. And, um, I think there's some exciting things that we can talk about. But before we do, Maria, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what, what you do there at IGES. Absolutely. Um, my name is Maria Cardiellos. I'm the executive director for the organization. Um, I'd like to, besides telling you that my personal background is one that is rooted in the public sector space, I spent uh, nearly 40 years on the public safety side, uh, justice data sharing, uh, both on the public and private sides. I've had the uh, the luck and the uh, the opportunity. Uh, to serve not only as the executive director, but serve in uh, key roles within the organization. Uh, I was the chief of staff for the nationwide SAR initiative. That's the Suspicious Activity Reporting Initiative that we'll actually chat about a little bit later, uh, as well as serve as the CIO for the Department of Law and Public Safety in the state of New Jersey. The reason I bring that up is that um, even though I come from the public sector side, I did spend time on the private uh, sector side, and IGIS is about both. IGIS has a 20-year history. We were actually uh, incorporated, unfortunately, soon after uh, 9-11, but we had roots in the community before then, forming partnerships between public and private and making sure that uh, we, the private sector at that point, were responsive to the needs of the uh, industry and of the public sector bodies that served and protected our nation. Um, what is typical then and what is typical now is that the challenges that uh, hit us from an operational side are changing every single day. They get more comprehensive, they get more burdensome, and data or RMS systems, as you, as you made reference to, become even more important. So know that IGIS is formed in order to make sure that the collaboration between public and private uh, remains open, uh, remains uh, an ongoing dialogue, and addresses the evolution of needs over time. You know, you said that, that you know, I just got started around 9-11 and after that, but it's one of those things where it feels like you guys have been around forever. I mean, it is as impactful as I just is in the community. It's just a name that feels like it's been around for for a long time. And and, and your career definitely puts you to where you're going to be a, a, a great representative of this topic, I think, here today. Melissa, how about you? You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hope everyone's doing well today. My name is Melissa Weinsberg. I am the director of programs for the IGES Institute. Uh, my background 
um, is about 30 years in law enforcement and criminal justice. I originally started my career developing the NIBRS program for the state of Ohio. From there, I started working on integration of criminal justice information systems. Exactly around the time of 9-11, um, worked with the state of Ohio to try to eliminate many of the silos in our criminal justice information systems, went from there to do work at the Criminal History Repository, helping with automated fingerprint identification systems and instant identification in the field. And then I moved on to private sector, working for an organization that manages records management system and crime reporting repositories and found myself landing with the IGIS Institute last November and I really enjoy it. I have to say that having been part of the IGIS Institute from the practitioner and public sector perspective it gives me a very interesting view and one of the things I will say is that coming from private sector IGIS was pretty much our only entry into being able to really have great conversations with both federal agencies and local criminal justice agencies to talk about policy and where we need to go in terms of information systems. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, you know, right out of the gate, you brought up, uh, you know, you brought up, I'll say that five letter word, that NIBRS, uh, that, that, that NIBRS word. And, you know, as a lot of our listeners are aware, you know, RMS has had a, a huge evolution over the years. Uh, most everyone's familiar with UCR and the statistics that, that, that UCR brings to that. Uh, but the, the NIBRS requirements and, and that change that's been occurring over the last several years, I know for some of the agencies, there's, uh, there, there's been a little bit of angst with that, right? There, there's been, there's been, uh, change that had to occur in their agencies. And, you know, Melissa, you, you helping roll that out in Ohio, I, I'm assuming you've got a pretty good understanding of, of really kind of some of what are those hurdles and, and as agencies are still trying to roll that out, what they're dealing with. Yes, it's a huge change for law enforcement. Um, you know, we've had to, in order to, collect NIBRS data, it's been important that we move the whole process of taking reports down to the officer level, um, the level of information that the FBI is requesting as part of the NIBRS program really requires more comprehensive reports to be taken. Um, but it's important to get that comprehensive data for greater transparency and to allow law enforcement agencies to better report to the public. You know, we're seeing that as this more detailed data is coming available, agencies are moving towards putting public portals online that allow the public to access crime data and the ability to report or to print copies of incident reports. And this has especially been important during COVID as many departments have limited entries, entry into their agencies. So it, the automation of crime data is critical to allow for that access to the information. It's allowing us to, to, and allowing the public to really kind of see that data that I find very interesting because I think historically it has been, you know, reports are written, reports go into the file, reports are used maybe in legal proceedings and sure the, the, the reporting parties and such can have copies of that, but it's not something that, 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 that's regularly, that was regularly populated out, right? And, uh, or I'm sorry, regularly published out, I think is a better word there. And it's, it's interesting now seeing this evolution, this, this, this 
data aggregation to where the data is becoming the focus. It's good because now I think that awareness level is rolling out. Uh, Maria, what are some other benefits that you're seeing of this of this RMS evolution over the last several years? Well, I think it's representative of what's happening in society, John. I mean, you look at a decade or two ago, and our world is smaller, our world is faster, our world is uh, providing us with numerous challenges that we could have never envisioned decades ago. Uh, when we talk about, uh, frankly, the uh, the coup of what was 9-11 with all the disaster, when we speak about the uh, the inability of um, sort of the, the generations to be able to foresee and then quickly respond to what are pandemic issues, uh, we must be faster in our responses. And I say we deliberately in the sense that it is both a public sector and private sector responsibility. As we deal with these emerging challenges, we need to be more efficient in how we do that. And that is what IGIS mission is about. We are fundamentally about data sharing in all spaces, homeland, hometown, uh, health and human services, education and transportation. But data is the asset. So NIBRS is that representation of the last or the most recent generation that uh, the FBI is pushing out along with the Bureau of Justice Statistics because it's taking what was a traditional form of data collection and bringing it to the uh, to the forefront. Uh, the next generations, frankly, would be the way that standards help that information more uh, fluidly and more simply go from one system to another so that data users at all levels of government, federal, state, uh, county, and local, can actually access that data, uh, assess that data, analyze that data, and make uh, time-sensitive operational decisions. Uh, the tools that we use, as simple as an example as having our smartphones, nearly everyone has a smartphone today, so you basically have a computer in your pocket, uh, is the change that is represented, of course, on the public sector side, so that they, too, want to be at their desktops or at their mobile devices and be able to access data quickly in order to make an efficient decision. Standards, functional standards, uh, open standards, inter interoperability are all buzzwords, keywords, but uh, critical words in how that data needs to be shared nationally, how that data needs to be shared internationally, how that data needs to uh, be transported between disparate systems in an efficient manner. The word that keeps coming it up to me is this transparency. And I know sometimes we even overuse that word, right? But it's, it's taking that data and getting it out to those that can, that can utilize that data effectively. I mean, you know, so, you know, what I love about the IGES Institute is that, and, and you have already mentioned this, Maria, but it's that public and private. So you're not just focusing on just one of those verticals. You guys are looking to touch on both of them. And I think that that's important because I think what it does is it shows that I remember years ago um, going online. You know, this is probably even before smartphones became the rage, but going even online and looking at an area map when we were deciding to move and what was the, you know, what was the crime rate and what was the. The, the, the traffic levels and the population and the schools and all those things that you that you would go in and just find out before you made a move. That was really my first 
kind of glimpse into this world of looking at that type of data. Gosh, that was, you know, several mile high view of that data. But now, I mean, now I've seen organizations and you guys brought this up a little bit ago where they're they're publishing out statistics and information to where the public sector can actually look and see what's going on in their neighborhood today, what's going on in their world today. And that level of transparency, I think, is good for all of us. I think it makes for a a more intelligent community, which in turn should help crime rates and should help keep people just that awareness, just kind of keep people aware of what's going on. You're exactly right, John. And it's interesting. First of all, I would see the partnership between public and private as IGIS's critical success factor. That is our differentiator. That is our uh, secret sauce. Uh, That is our uh, uh, component that puts us, frankly, above the rest. And it's not to say that we don't have absolutely critical partners that come to our table and ensure our collective success, but that is what makes us unique. And Mm -hmm. you make reference to the maps. Uh, You bring back a memory because my career actually started at Newark PD, Newark, New Jersey PD, as a crime analyst. So I was what you were making reference to to understand a potential jurisdiction that you were moving in and finding out the different patterns or factors is what I used to do manually. And yet uh, decades later or what seems like minutes later, uh, mm-hmm. we have that our, at our fingertips. So transparency is not only about the availability of data, but the access of data to present the or, or to respond to the question that needs to be asked. And I'll go one step further. Uh, the, the notion of the data availability has to be responsive to the priority at hand. And the priority today, for example, is justice reform. Um, whatever channel you turn on to, whatever newspaper you open, there are different uh, either jurisdictions, states, nationally, internationally, speaking about the need to uh, reform how we do business. And that could be on a process side, on a technology side, on a policy side, all things that we do, uh, because you can't have one without the other. But it's about being able to address the priority which addresses our nation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I, I, I think that the, the overall value of just getting this data out there is what's key. I mean, I just now today, I mean, even as simple as we brought up the smartphone, as we're driving down the road, I mean, it just happened to me the other day. My smartphone tells me that, you know, we know you're going from point A to point B. And, oh, by the way, there's a vehicle accident and traffic is now backed up uh, and, it, and it automatically reroutes. And as simple and as every day as that becomes, Think about the data that's being pushed out. And now when we start looking at some of the some of the other incidents that's going on, and it doesn't have to just be, you know, big crime that makes the news. Right. Those those everybody's aware of. But I'm just talking about the day to day intelligence that we can share with the public. Again, how many how much time has officers spent out? diverting traffic, diverting public away from an incident and getting the getting that audience kind of uh, avail, giving this data out to that audience to me is a huge win. It, should, it It should hopefully make our lives a lot easier overall as that awareness level goes up. And it makes the community feel more like our partner, especially in the public safety example, than our targeted audience. And I, I use the term targeted deliberately. Right. They need to feel like this yep. is a. Uh, a partnership 
from one side to the other and that we are doing things for our collective benefit within our communities. Well, we've all been uh, we've all been there and and had a member of the public either uh, in person or by phone tell us, right? You know, I pay your salary, I pay taxes, you know, and and have that discussion. Uh, normally, it's one of those that you hang up with or walk away from, and and you just kind of say, well, I, you know, yep, there's another one that said that told me that, but in this case. We've got great examples now of, yeah, you absolutely do. And here's why, and here's why we need you to help partner with it. I'd like to, I, I want to turn though a little bit because, you know, we talked about those external players, but there's some other benefits as well. I mean, a good records management system, interagency can grab uh, collaboration and utilizing that data across with, within our own. Man, the benefits that I'm seeing there has just been amazing. I mean, I know that, you know, you've got you just take a county, a, a regular county across the U.S. here. There's numerous policing agencies. And, you know, this 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 bad element or, or as I like to call it, Joe Dirtbag, he comes into a county and wants to start causing trouble. Sometimes and years ago, the easiest way would be, you know, I don't need to do anything twice in the same jurisdiction. Let me just start up north and then I'll go down south and they won't even know that I did anything up north. This interagency collaboration is really what I'm seeing. This this data sharing amongst our own is really beneficial is what I'm also is what I also see. Well, and I think that that represents what was done historically very efficiently and still done um, at, in all agencies in all states. Uh, the community of justice in general is a small one. So regardless of what side of the table you're on, we keep seeing each other. And I say that because the relationships of trust is what enabled the uh, relationships of data trust. Uh, it was okay to share with your neighbor because there are no boundaries and now there are no borders. And now um, the cars allow us to go not only, you know, a couple of miles, but now we're going 20 miles or 50 miles or 100 miles. And uh, our transgressions, uh, if I'm a criminal, can be anywhere and everywhere. Uh, but the trust that was enabled because of the personal relationships is what IGIS and interoperability and technology enables from a, a data sharing and system perspective. Uh, we work on, and, and Melissa could tell you a little bit about functional standards for RMS and what that means. It takes disparate systems uh, and brings them to the middle of the road in order for data that is approved to be shared. You still have to have your policy issues addressed. You still have to have your operational issues addressed. You still have to have all of the trust factors. But the interoperability from a technical perspective is addressed best from a functional standard. And maybe we could have Melissa chat a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, because I know, Melissa, you know, we, we, we spoke before we started this uh, discussion here. I just is about to release an RMS functional standard documents, correct? Can you give us a little sneak peek into what that is? Sure. The document is very important for both practitioners and law enforcement. Um, the development of the functional standards has been a joint effort between IDIS and the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Both groups have been working for the last two years to update a document that was last created in 2009 that really out, the purpose of it is to outline the functional standards that should be included within an RMS. Um, from that perspective, you know, as the committee has worked, I think it's important to point out that the committee has 
um, included both practitioners and law enforcement agencies. These two groups have been able to come together and have a conversation regarding what the important components are of an RMS and what should com- be completed in an RMS. Some of the key differences that you'll see from the 2009 document really focus on the advance on the advancements in technology and the changing practices in record keeping. Um, you know, the changes related to the use of cloud computing and the movement to SaaS solutions. There's a greater focus in the standards on security and auditing of RMS systems, which are key components as we think about transparency and bringing information to the public. We focus more on the use of standards, which are critical to promoting information sharing, such as the use of NIEM standards, the use of NIBRS, Clery reporting for colleges and universities, and local, regional, and state interfaces are also a key component in the document. We can no longer tolerate information system silos. And one of the things that we focus on in the document is the need to interface with systems such as the local court system, jail management systems at the local level, and also regional systems that flow information to systems such as links or the Argus system in San Diego, as well as federal interfaces such as index suspicious activity reporting and NIBRS. Um, the document really focuses on single point of entry systems, automating workflows to make things easier for the law enforcement agency as reports have to flow through the process and approval process. Wow. I mean, in you know, even some of those connections and taking that data, and I'll use your words, out of that silo, the importance of that. You know, I know people that are listening to this podcast, if they're into into listening to other podcasts like myself, a lot of us listen to the, you know, the, 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 the crime type of podcast. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of crime junkies, for example. And when I listen to some of these things, and this, this won't be foreign to a lot of people, when I listen to it, it's amazing to me as we, as we listen to some of the incidents that have occurred in the U.S., how if only we communicated better, some of those things could have been alleviated. Some of the crime could have been alleviated or, you know, the bad guy could have, could have been caught a lot earlier because we didn't have that communication. Even on adjoining jurisdictions, we weren't sharing that data. And, you know, you bring up that, that silo point. To me, having that in, in just a siloed records management system is, is, is a detriment. It's just not something that, that we can continue doing. And I, I love that, that you guys are releasing this functional standards doc to kind of get people thinking that way that says, Hey, you know, you brought it up, putting these, putting this stuff in the cloud. One, one great step to being able to get that data out there, integrating it and interfacing it to those other systems that are national systems. Man, that's important because I, I think you're right. You know, Maria, you brought this up a little bit ago. I can get in my car and within a few hours I can be in multiple states. It's no longer the case where it's, uh, you know, you've got a plan for a long trip. I mean, you can just jump in the car and be all across the U.S. pretty quickly. And, you know, the people that can jump on an airplane and be from here to there in just a couple of hours. I mean, these things are moving and they're moving all around and in keeping that data out there and getting that data out there to where we can all be a little more educated and understanding. And now when we run a person or we run a suspicious plate or we run something that's going on, we're getting that data. 
and we're getting it from the from the right place. John, just to let me interject here and offer a perspective. You made reference to the data being available. What's important to note is that the data being available is only accessible by authorized users. When we make reference to interoperability or to data standards, what we are ensuring and facilitating is that the data is available to the end users that have the permissions to access the data. So a couple of examples. In most law enforcement agencies, you not only have what is, of course, your uh, police at the agency site, you may have a real-time crime center, which is a uh, a, a gathering of individuals from disparate organizations or disparate functions that are sharing data and collectively responding to an incident, or you may have a fusion center at a state level and or a major metropolitan area that then looks at the bigger picture of activities or priorities from a state perspective. What is important to note that at any and all of those access points, uh, the policies of data availability, whether it's privacy-related, whether it's ownership-related, whether it's approval-related, are very distinct uh, policies that affect the access of that information. So that may mean that if I'm at a fusion center in New Jersey and I am tapping what is a uh, solution like the nationwide SAR initiative, that then enables me to be able to find out uh, whether a person of interest is out there and what's happening with them on my borders. If my border of New York said that I could access that information, then I'm able to see it instantaneously. If my border of PA says that, no, I need them to call us about this particular individual because I'm not putting it out there for everyone in our working community to understand, then they will need to call us. And that is based upon who owns the data, where the source data is coming from, and what policies guide and govern that information. So always know that in any of the solutions that either I just or that, frankly, uh, succeed on a national or international basis, it's not just about the technology. It's never just about the technology. It is about the operational mission. It is about the agreement of access and data uh, ownership. It is governed by the policies that we either have nationally or statewide or locally, which is why we have conversations about what those are, given what program we're working on. It is about the training, about how we then roll these programs out, because people need to know those type of things or need to have the cheat sheet. If I'm that real-time crime operator, I don't need to know what's going on in my next-door state, but I need to know the activities that I'm allowed to access or not. And then it's ensuring that the technology crosses and creates those bridges for us. If I'm able to see it, I have it accessible. If I'm not able to see it, I'm told that I need to call person X. By, by no means are we saying Put your data in and just open up the floodgates and just and just put all that information out there. And I think that that's that that is key, Maria. I think that you've got to be able to to understand what data can be put out there. And then to your point, it could be as simple as if that data comes up, it flags someone to even make a phone call. And I think that that'll give a level of security and maybe a level of comfort to our agencies that says, 
again, I'll start how I just started this. By no means are we saying just open it all up. Just just whatever you've got in there, you need to data share. No, that, that doesn't have to be the case. I think it's that level of awareness at the very least that says, hey, heads up. Whatever made that flag, you need to give us a call. We may, we have some information that we need to share here. And I think that that's a great point that we need to make, that this is not just uh, just a carte blanche type of atmosphere where we think we should open this up to everybody. But let's give it to the right people with the right security clearance that can get into that data and then make some knowledgeable actions after that step. Absolutely. And I will add, too, is that years ago in a different ge- generation of technology, there were the concepts of the central databases, right? So just let's throw everything in there and then pull out what is allowable. Today, for security reasons, even cybersecurity reasons, uh, that is nowhere near the preferred choice. We right. rather individual owners of data or sources of data manage and control their own authorities, and then our joint permissions allow us to access that front porch, as we used to make reference to in certain programs. Mm-hmm. You allow what you want us to be able to see on your front porch. I go to your front porch to be able to query those data elements that we agreed to. Maria, this is critical because we, even though we need to share information, law enforcement still has an obligation to protect the victim, to protect juveniles, to ensure that that information isn't getting out there that is really information that needs to stay within the agency that is private and could impact a person's security in the long run. Yeah, that and that's key, right? Because I don't believe it. And here's the good news. Some of the tools, some of the techniques that you guys are talking about and these recommendations, uh, you know, Melissa, in, in your standards document, for example, Again, you're not just going in there and saying, make all this data available. But I think you hit on some key points, right? There's 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 victim data. There's juvenile data. There's information in our reports that that should not be disseminated out, that should not be released. And that data is sensitive. And we and we need to understand that and continue understanding that. But that doesn't mean that there's not data there that can't be shared to help to help apprehend maybe maybe the bad guy and try to get that person that, that's caused that report to even be done in the first place and making sure that we walk that fine line. And I think with groups like IGIS, you know, continue with the federal level, the CGIS certifications and things, making sure that the right eyes are on the right information whenever it's necessary. I want to transition. Maria, you talked a little bit about this and you just barely touched on it. As I look at Records management overall. So I'm familiar with uh, fire records management, for example, right? You've got your infra standards and you put that information in. And, and I'll say for the most part across the U.S., it's a standard. Fire departments put that information in. On the police side, that's different. You've got every city, county, state, tribe, local, you name it. Everyone's doing it where, yep. They've got their UCR or now their NIBRS rules that they know that they've got to collect. But then all of those different verticals that I just mentioned seem to have their own required rules and their own required data. How do we how do we get standards in police records management across the U.S. but still allow an agency to meet their own needs? Well, John, I think that speaks to interoperability and what the potential represents. Interoperability is not about point to point communication. 
Uh, it's about standardization to the middle of the road. And what that means is if you are a RMS in Newark and an RMS in Montclair, and I'm using Jersey examples because this is where I live, okay. um, we are able to communicate. However, it's not about then sharing with the rest of the 500 or more municipalities in my state. So we need to do things efficiently. That's the reference to the standards. But there's two issues to speak to. If you use the analogy of a uh, of a plug of an electrical outlet when you go to a hotel, uh, mm-hmm. when you're traveling nationally, you know that your blow dryer is going to work. When you're going to uh, the United Kingdom, when you're going to uh, France, when you're going to other nations, uh, their uh, ability to be able to let us use our blow dryers has yet to be realized. We have all the adapters. But imagine that standards are the adapters. And to that end, knowing that standards is the goal of not only crossing RMS to RMS, but RMS police to RMS fire, and then even further fire to emergency management or emergency providers in general, the issue becomes twofold. Imagine them running in parallel. We need to align the operational issues and the operational needs and then we need to align the technology data sharing. So uh, in your reference about the fire and the police sharing, we need to ensure that uh, either they're joint municipalities or that they are uh, they have mutual aid agreements or that they are coming in for an operational purpose that does not contradict each of the source agencies. Mm. To that end, how we do that from a data perspective makes reference to the interoperability that uh, the functional standard was an example, but the functional standards not are not only representative of RMS to RMS, but CAD to RMS and domain to domain. It's about that middle of the road and the ability to come to the central area in order to access the agreed upon data. I think that's an important comment there because I think what, what everybody hears when they start talking about data sharing and collaboration is is one standard that everybody has to to deal with and i like your analogy of the adapter because it says you know whether you're on uh, uh on the metric system or the standard system you're going to be able to to still share the data uh out there and i'll bring this back to this topic it's basically making sure that listen that city and county can still allow uh, their 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 personnel to collect the data that meets their needs, but that middle of the road and making sure that the data sharing model is happening is getting some of that data that's out there that everyone is collecting. Because it's and usually – I've never seen an agency that collects less. I mean, you know, the, the UCR and NIBR standards say you will at least collect this this these points of data that right there could be the middle of the road. But as, as I just rolls out their functional standards doc and these standards can kind of become the norm. It's getting that data out there that can be shared is what we're saying is the important part. Right, John. And I'll add a couple of points. First of all, the more data is usually handled in more tools, which on the one hand is, beneficial to the single agency, but on the other hand is one more tool that we need to interoperate with. And on the uh, the the notion 
of the investments made by individual agencies, that's a critical point to focus on. Interoperability is not about saying that this single standard is the way that everyone should travel to because sometimes that represents something that I can't do with my current uh, tool. I, as an agency, as a municipality, as a state, none of us have the wherewithal to be able to trash our investments and start from scratch. So interoperability, by its definition, is about reutilizing your current investments and being able to progress to that center and that middle point of communication. It's not about rip and replace. It's a great point, and I think it's I think it's an important point because this topic immediately brings up, I think, some fear that, you know, I may not have the same tool as you. I may not have the same technology as you. And I think, you know, whether you're in a major metropolitan or you're out in rural America, uh, this kind of puts a balance across there that says we can all be uh, data sharing together and it doesn't really matter. Let's let let's let's focus on the adapters. Let's focus on on getting that information out there and and make sure that that, that people in there are people are in the know uh, when it comes to understanding this a little bit better. So, you know, as we kind of wrap this up here, where do we where do we see this going? I've asked I've asked other guests before, right? You know, bring out your crystal ball and and kind of look what's next or on the horizon for for records management. Uh, I'll answer that question and then toss it to Melissa, because I think we each come from two different perspectives that are complementary. I think that um, given my operational background, RMSs are going to need to be more flexible, uh, more diverse, uh, and more responsive to the ever-changing needs. As we have a current priority of reform within the justice community, only as an example, because there are so many others, uh, our providers, our service providers need to be able to adapt in an efficient manner. And efficiency is the challenge that we are, are grappling with. On the one hand, you have what are federal guidelines that could come out like the UCR to NIBRS. You also have use of force requests. You also have sex assault reporting. You also have domestic violence reporting. You have all different requirements that are coming down from the feds, from your states, from your jurisdictions, from your city halls, right? At the end of the day, if a, mm-hmm. a given city gets a request, it's usually the mayor's office that's asking for, asking for something instantaneously. All of those inquiries that are legitimate and authorized uh, must be done so in a manner that it can be fluid and can be responsive in an efficient manner. Efficiency from the IGES standpoint is one that we hope to realize in either, even greater manner than beyond interoperability. What we are chatting about with our members uh, is constituent management issues for RMS providers. And what does that mean? Uh, typically, we've had 20 years of uh, public sector coming to IGIS and saying, could you get to your RMS providers or CAD providers or analytics providers together because we want to ask them some questions. And that has been effective. But as the world gets bigger and as the needs get more diverse and the volumes increase, we see that RMS, as an example, maybe an initial example, is one where managing the constituency and forming their own governance and forming their own communication body and forming their own centralized 
working groups will enable them to have I just facilitate uh, communication, working meetings, um, roadmap discussions, either individually or collectively with those procurers of data, right? So mm-hmm. let's go to the examples that the feds, FBI, uh, BJS, any of the acronyms, ICE, DHS, ICE right now dealing with border issues, uh, say that we need this type of information and I need it from provider A and from provider B and provider C. Well, we could all read the headlines if I'm provider A, B, and C and figure out what's coming next, but it would be so much more efficient if there was better communication and regular communication between the requesters of information and the responders at the service provider levels. Because not only because I could make intelligent decisions about how my developers need to ready the technology for those inquiries and do so in manners that protect the data, secure the data, access the data, etc. But if we were able to do so collectively, that's an even better picture. Because now consider that we have agencies that we sometimes refer to as the have agencies, right? They have the wherewithal financially to have the RMS, to have the analytics packages, to have all of the different bells and whistles. But -hmm. then we have the have-nots. Now, their need is no less. Their uh, desire to protect their constituency and their citizens is no less. But if we had a body such as one that manages RMS constituents or has a, a collective voice, we might actually be able to afford the opportunity of cloud solutions like Melissa made reference to, that then enables those have-not agencies to share in the wealth in a cost-efficient fashion that protects all of their policy issues, ops issues, uh, and, and, and argument, excuse me, organizational issues that are so critical to them. Mm. So that's what's on our horizon, but that's one of many issues that we are addressing. Interesting. And Melissa, how about yourself? So as I think about this, we need to look for ways that we can continue to modernize how we collect crime data and crime statistics. As we all know, data changes, um, crime patterns or trends change. We as a nation don't have a good methodology for quickly updating our collection processes to allow for us to focus on new crime patterns, new standards, and new data collection methodologies. Take UCR, for example. The summary-based UCR collection system started in 1930. The FBI just sunsetted that system in January of 2021. So Mm. for 90 years as a nation, we were virtually following the same methodology for reporting crime. We've moved to NIBRS, and it's definitely a huge step forward, but even that crime reporting standard is already 30 years old, even though we've just started as a nation to move forward on that particular view of crime. Whatever process we land on in terms of crime reporting in the future and modernization, it's important that we adopt methodologies that are easier for the officer on the street that allow us to continue to create realistic pictures of crime and increase the accuracy of reporting and better understand the impact that crime has on our victims. You know, if you think about crime and how agencies report data, many agencies tend to focus on incidents or cases. We really need to rethink that process 
and start to focus on the person as we collect that data and collect crime statistics. Um, we need to do that not only from a law enforcement perspective, but from criminal justice as a whole. If we start to focus on the person rather than cases and incidents, it might just give us a better understanding of what's happening and better information and data to help us prevent crime and provide necessary services that can help to reduce crime in the long run. And most importantly, as we modernize crime statistics, we need to figure out a better way to manage the reporting of changing trends in crime and reducing the costs of maintaining RMS systems for crime reporting. Law enforcement agencies work on a limited budget and they don't have the funds to pay for continual updates to satisfy crime reporting requirements. So we have to work through this process as a community, both from a private sector and a practitioner perspective to figure out how we modernize collection of crime statistics so that we can easily adapt to those systems to the changing trends. Yeah, we've definitely, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to this as this continues and this evolution keeps moving forward, right? It's that agility and it's to be able to be quicker, uh, you know, in, in a little more well-educated as we're, as we're handling these incidents on a day-to-day basis. You know, not only will this make the public safer, but I think it's going to overall make officers' lives easier, make their job a little bit safer and, and really just get the, the right information into the right hands. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to see and hear about the evolution that we've had, but it's it's just as interesting to hear about where we're going to go and, and what the adventure ahead kind of looks like. Well, we've, we're running out of time here, so we're going to wrap this up. And, and I, I definitely have, have been on the IGIS, IJIS.org website, uh, but I want to pass it over to you guys if you can. If anyone's listening here and they're not a member or they want to become a member of IGIS, uh, can you give our listeners a little bit of what they can do to become part of the group? Absolutely. Thank you, John. First of all, I would encourage everyone to go to that website. I will tell you we are in a state of transition because we're looking to make even that uh, smoother in its messages and defining our value. But if you go back to how we started talking about our roots being in a uh, public-private partnership that is our critical success factor, uh, I would encourage both public sector members uh, or practitioners as well as private sector uh uh, service providers to join our organization. Um, it's very difficult in the short time that we had today to be able to speak to all the services that we provide and all of the opportunities that exist for new services to be provided to both our public sector or private sector constituency. So I would encourage all to spend a little time on the website, reach out for any one of us at any time, uh, and most importantly, join and engage uh, interestingly enough, the uh, the public sector membership rates, and I'll, I'll speak a little bit about the housekeeping, is free. So we're not looking uh, for a great profit here. We're looking for engagement. And frankly, the private sector membership is very moderate. And uh, we are in this mission space uh, in order to commit and in, to, in order to serve our uh, public sector operations. So I would encourage all to join and become active. That's great information. And I think, um, I, I don't think that anyone be disappointed. Go to that website. There's a lot of good information out there and, and a lot of things that, that you can dig into. And then I think the overall message is get involved, right? I mean, it, you know, it's one thing to listen to these kind of conversations and kind of hear what's going on. 
Uh, but man, it just, it just get involved is probably how I would end that and, and just say that this is a great organization to be part of. Uh, Maria, Melissa, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Maria, you just mentioned a little bit about, you know, we didn't even touch on a lot of the topics and a lot of the things that I just does. I'd love to have you guys back and maybe we can go into different topics here in the future and, uh, some things that are relevant to our listeners. Uh, but, but once again, thank you guys for this great conversation. I'm looking forward to see how RMS, uh, changes, uh, as we as we continue on in this adventure to hear additional episodes or learn more visit us at hxgnspotlight.com and thanks for tuning in